the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friend, God's hands are not so high that He can't reach down to touch you in your life. God is with you in Jesus. God has found a way to touch us. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And as a reminder, you can always turn into the live worship service held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. You're most welcome to be our guest, either online or in person. I'll have more information on that as we continue with today's broadcast. Today on Reaching Your Heart, we bring you the first portion of a message Pastor Michael Oxentanko entitles, Altar is Zero. That's Altar Zero. And remember, many of these messages are available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentanko. Dear Father God, We are grateful that Jesus died on that cross for our sins at altar zero. And we're no zeros. When he became a zero, he did it so we would be someone in your eternal plan for all eternity. So, Father, help us to see the truth of altar zero. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Hebrews informs us in Hebrews 13.10 that we have an altar... Now, that's an amazing statement. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Friends, we don't come to God without an altar. We have an altar. The tent the Apostle Paul is talking about here in the book of Hebrews, and yes, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Anyone who deeply studies Paul in the Greek, thematically, structurally, recognize the same person in the book of Colossians and other places in Romans and so on, Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and in that book, he is trying to tell us in no uncertain terms that we have an altar, and that temple that was one of the wonders of the world in Herod's time is not a wonder anymore. Friend, Jesus was crucified on the cross of Calvary. It was no longer a wonder after the cross of Calvary because God abandoned that temple. God left that temple. He left it because it had left him. And he got his church moving in the direction of a new Jerusalem, a new temple, because we have an altar that is outside the gate. Hebrews thirteen fourteen. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city which is to come. And so the book of Hebrews was given by God to get those early Christians out of the old city, out of the old sanctuary, out of the altar inside the city, and to start moving them forward in time to the city that is to come. The early Christians for the first 200 to 300 years of Christianity looked to the Mount of Olives to the east for the city that is to come. They knew good and well that God had abandoned that old city and there would be a new one that would be planted at the summit of the Mount of Olives. The Jewish historian Josephus 
who was at the destruction of Jerusalem. He was a contemporary of it when Titus's armies came in and destroyed it in 70 AD. He records that the Shekinah glory of God left toward the east to the Mount of Olives just before the Romans destroyed the city and the temple. But Luke, a better source of understanding, records in Acts 1 that Jesus left Jerusalem to go over the Mount of Olives when he ascended to heaven after they crucified him. The Shekinah glory was in Jesus Christ, and thus Christ abandoned the old city and the old temple. Ezekiel the prophet had predicted that God's glory, the Shekinah glory, would depart from the eastern gate to the Mount of Olives as God left his old city to be destroyed because of the rebellion to seek a new temple, a new beginning in the age to come. Hebrews 13, 10 to 12, open your Bibles and turn with me to that. Again, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now here's the connection. He says the altar that we're connected with, the bodies of the animals are burned outside the camp. That zeroes in on a specific altar in the topography of that time. And then the connection in verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. There should be no mystery as to where Jesus died based on these verses. It tells us where he died. In Jesus' day, there was an altar outside the gate that was a pit where the ashes were spread and parts of the sacrifices were burnt outside the city. That place was called the altar of the red heifer. How many of you ever heard of the red heifer? Now, in evangelical Christianity, they're wrapping their eschatology around getting a red heifer. Because if they get a red heifer, it's perfect. They believe that you can reconsecrate the place for the temple to build a new temple in Jerusalem. And thus bring the end of days, the battle of Armageddon, all that. Now that's really nonsense theology. The red heifer pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That is its significance. And to insist upon an earthly sanctuary after Christ has made the transition from earth to heaven, predicted in Daniel 9.24, that by his blood he would consecrate the Holy of Holies in the heavenly sanctuary. To insist on the earthly after that is to be pharisaical, literalistic, and to miss the teaching of Jesus. Christ left that old temple and he says, your house is left to you desolate. So we look for a city that is to come. Christ was crucified near the altar of the red heifer. It was located on the other side of the eastern gate, across the brook Kidron, near the summit of the Mount of Olives. The Hebrew word red is the Hebrew word Adam. Adam can be an adjective or a noun. As an adjective, it can be Adama or something like that, but it's still the same word. Red and Adam are the same. How many American Indians do we have here? I should say Native Americans. I have Native American blood in me, so I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm not offending myself. But I have strong Native American blood in me. There's nothing wrong with having your skin the color of red. Maybe you go way back to Adam. And that's a good thing. How many of you like to be associated with Adam? I'm in the list, okay? So I have Native American blood in me. Now, you could just as easily call the red heifer the Adam heifer. In Jesus' day, there was a large ramp that led right outside the city where the eastern gate was, directly in line with the altar of the sanctuary in the city where you could see the veil. It went right over the Kidron 
and it was high so that there would be no defilement because that was a burial ground. There were graves on the Mount of Olives. And it went right up near the summit of the Mount of Olives. And there was a pit altar dug in the ground that was the altar of the red heifer. Near the altar of the red heifer, you could see the veil of the temple. In fact, the eastern gate was low enough. You could stand up there in the sun of the Mount of Olives. And by the way, that was the place of ancient execution by the Romans, especially for religious crimes. Because in their thinking of the Jews, who were Romanized also, that when you faced the sanctuary, the wrath of God rested upon you. You could see the veil of the temple. And God was saying to you, it's over. And so this was the place of execution. To die on a tree in the olive grove of the Mount of Olives was the curse of God on you. Now the altar of the red heifer was the most holy altar in Israel's history because it was the only place you could have a sacrifice that would reconsecrate and restore the sanctuary and the covenant necessary to rebuild or restore God's holy house because God's people had sinned or because invaders had destroyed it. And so you needed the red heifer sacrifice to build that sanctuary again. Now on the present side of the Hebrew tabernacle that has been destroyed by Titus, we have the Dome of the Rock. In fact, the very spot where the Ark of the Covenant was carved, a hole, a makon place in Hebrew by Solomon, you can see that. The imprint of that is still on the Dome of the Rock. And so that's how real the Ark of the Covenant is. That rectangle in that picture that you can go online and see is where the Ark was placed, right there on the Dome of the Rock. In fact, the foundation sides of the Most Holy Place are still preserved in the cutaways that you can see on the Dome of the Rock. This was real. God was really there, and so on. So the sacrifice of the red heifer required a perfect red heifer without any blemish on it where every hair must be red. Now imagine inspecting a red heifer looking for every single hair to be red. That would take a long time, wouldn't it? It had to be fully red. And red heifers don't come along very often. In fact, they're hard to find. After carefully selecting the female, it was a heifer, a female sacrifice, the priest would sacrifice the red heifer and sprinkle its blood seven times, throwing it toward this temple of Jerusalem like on the great day of atonement. They would then burn it to ashes in the altar pit on the Mount of Olives. That's a yucky kind of thing. But why did they do this? They did it because that was the way you rebooted the sanctuary worship, the way you restored the temple. In some ways, that sacrifice represented hell and all of us who deserved to go there. Because it was a fire pit that they threw that thing into and it was totally consumed. That sacrifice would burn in a hole in the ground that would remind the Jewish people of the coming fire that would destroy all evil. That is hell itself at the end of the millennium according to the book of Revelation. And the Bible is very clear. God's glory. God is a consuming fire. The glory of him who is love intrinsically destroys evil. Our God is holy. But that love hot fire of God has been looking for centuries to save every man and woman from his glory that destroys evil. Christ is the way out of the woods. According to the Hebrew Mishnah, this sacrifice was used only nine times in Israel's history. Nine times. Now, by the way, what does nine come before? Help me count here. What number does nine come before? Number 10. Nine is an incomplete number for God's will. It's an incomplete number for God's covenant. So the fact that there were nine deaths of the red heifer, nine times they did this, implied there was a need to complete it with number 10. Christ is number 10. And so the last offering, number 10, that is the offering of the red heifer, is itself 
pointing forward to Jesus. We are told in the Bible that the altar of the red heifer was used for the purification of coming into contact with the dead. It was the only female offering in Israel's history. Have you ever heard that all the offerings were male goats and all this? You ever hear that? Well, it's not true. The altar of the red heifer was a female offering. And we must examine why that is so. In some ways, in fact, the only other offering that was female besides the offering of the red heifer would be the offering that Abraham made when God made a covenant with him in Genesis 15. In some ways, it resembles the sacrifice of the heifer, as I said in Genesis 15, when a heifer and a female goat and some other animals were sacrificed in the night of Abraham's terror, and there God met him, and God made a covenant with him, and God passed between the parts of the animal to say that if I don't keep my covenant, may I be executed and cut in two. And then God promised him the promised land in the language of Eden. The Bible's quite clear that when God makes promises to take Abraham and his children to a land, the future, it's Eden restored that they're going to come up with. Now let's go to Numbers 19 and look at the red heifer. Let's zero in on it in our Bible this morning. Verse 2 is where we'll land together. It says, this is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect. So every hair had to be red. In which there is no blemish and upon which a yoke has never come. And you shall give her to Eliezer the priest and she shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. And Eliezer the priest shall take some of her blood with his finger and sprinkle some of her blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. And the heifer shall be burned in his sight, her skin, her flesh, and her blood with her dung shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet stuff. Now remember, hyssop was used when Jesus was crucified. A spring of hyssop with vinegar. Hyssop and scarlet stuff and cast them into the midst of the burning of the heifer. Now, hyssop is a symbol of healing. And so the fire and healing are together. Now, the ashes of the red heifer would be collected for the purification of sin and for the purification of those who would come into contact with a dead body. That's strange that they'd have an offering like this for people who touched a carcass, that there would be a purification water for them based on the ashes of the red heifer. Now, Numbers 19, 9, and 11, and 12. Let's continue. And a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them where? What does it say? Outside the camp. Now, that's the language of Hebrews. In a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the people of Israel for the water of impurity for the removal of sin. Verse 11, he who touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for how many days? Seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on what day? Third day. Now, I happen to know that Jesus rose on what day? Third day. And then on the seventh day. Now, what day is that? And it's Sabbath. See, something about the resurrection day number and the Sabbath day number, that's the day for cleansing and healing. And so be clean. I like that. And so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day, on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Imagine living all your life and not being clean. You needed the water that came from the sacrifice of the red heifer. Now the book of Hebrews echoes the language of the red heifer when it refers to Jesus' death outside the gate. Go with me to Hebrews 13. Look at verse 10 to 13. Paul says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside 
the camp. Now, they were burned historically right there in the pit of the altar of the red heifer at the summit of the Mount of Olives. It says, so Jesus also suffered where? What does it say in your Bible? Where did he suffer? Outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Now, here is the call of Paul to those early Christians who were stuck on that old city, who wanted to stay sacrificing animals in Jerusalem. He said, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. We will continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. So please stay tuned. If you would like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that at the close of our broadcast today. You can also attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in streaming format on that website. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. The book of Hebrews is here indicating that Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrifice of the red heifer at the altar of the red heifer outside the gate where the ashes are collected, where the bodies of the sacrifices were burned. That means, friends, Jesus died at the summit of the Mount of Olives near the altar of the red heifer. So if I were to ask you, what is Mount Calvary? Based on this evidence in Hebrews 13, what would you say? The Mount of Olives. Now, how many of you have been to Jerusalem? You saw that place that looks like a skull and you felt like you came to Golgotha, the place of the skull. You ever seen that? Well, it didn't look like a skull 2,000 years ago. It didn't look anything like a skull. The topography has changed. So we shouldn't go by that. We should allow the Bible to guide us to the places that really inform us what is going on. So it means, based on Hebrews, that Jesus died at the summit of the Mount of Olives near the altar of the red heifer. That means the Mount of Olives is altar zero for God. It's ground zero. It's where God got it done for the human race. In recent years, Melchizedek's ancient altar and temple complex has been discovered under the grounds, because they've built these things up over the years, under the ground, just over the spring, or at least in conjunction to its headwaters, that flows to the Dead Sea. It has been found. In fact, it's aired on a number of Christian radio broadcasts. I have looked at the evidence of this. I concur that this is Melchizedek's altar. And the archaeologist, the Jewish archaeologist who found it, called it Altar Zero or Temple Zero. But that is not the case. In fact, in that altar, you'll see a very simple place for the sacrificing of animals, cutting them in part. You'll see a stone for oil being poured on it like Jacob did. There's nothing pagan about it. This is the first altar that existed in the land of Salem in the days of Melchizedek when Abram was there. They have found that thing. Friend, the most holy altar of all is not that altar. The most holy altar of all was at the summit of the Mount of Olives. And that is the place where Jesus died according to the Bible. It is the real altar zero. The Mount of Olives was so important to Jesus in his life and death Jesus would sleep there at night, all night. That was the place he hung out. Jesus would go to pray there, the Mount of Olives, his prayer garden place. Jesus would retire there when he was attacked by others. The homeless Jesus made his home in the garden on the Mount of Olives where he had no place to lay his head but on the ground, right there. The place he lingered 
the place where he prayed for the sins of the world. The place was called Gethsemane, the oil press in Aramaic, precious to him. Christ was arrested there on the Mount of Olives. Christ came over the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem to be tried and then rushed to the eastern gate after his conviction to die on the Mount of Olives. Jesus left the earthly city Jerusalem behind as a forsaken city as he led his disciples over the Mount of Olives then to descend to heaven. Now when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's very clear that the Roman centurion recognized and those that were there, they saw that the veil of the temple had been rent. There's only one spot where you can see the veil of the temple. And that's at the summit of the Mount of Olives near the Red Heifer. When they performed that sacrifice, they would signal to a priest at the door that the sacrifice had been completed. It is a line sight view to the veil. And Josephus, the great Jewish historian, tells us 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, which places us right in Daniel 9's chronology of Christ's death, the great stone lintel that held the single veil of the Temple of Herod cracked because of an earthquake. And it broke, and of course the veil was rent in top to bottom as a result of that. So we have historical confirmation of the New Testament witness that the veil was ripped. But they saw it from the summit of the Mount of Olives. When the graves were opened at Jesus' resurrection, the graveyard was the Mount of Olives. So Jesus left the earthly city Jerusalem behind as a forsaken city as he led his disciples over the Mount of Olives to ascend to heaven. He moved in the direction of the Shekinah glory in him to leave the city, as Ezekiel prophesied, from the Mount of Olives. Now, friends, Jesus was crucified on a tree and a cross. The Bible says both. So what does that mean? There were lots of trees on the Mount of Olives. In fact, it was the custom to execute people by putting them right in the tree of an olive tree and placing the crossbeam of their cross right there. So Christ was most likely crucified in just that way. So Jesus would have carried his large crossbeam on his back, his cross. It would have been placed in the branches of an olive tree. And there he would have been nailed to the tree and the cross is the same thing. Friend, Jesus carried his crossbeam on his back. And they hung that crossbeam in the branches of the tree. And the tree that is the cross that brought his death is the tree of life for you and me. Very likely two thieves were nailed to the same tree on different crossbeams. And that's why it would be easy to hear each other and talk to each other on the cross. Imagine being that close to the two thieves. One to the right, one to the left, all on the same tree, different crosses. Yet one thief cursed Jesus like we all have in life, in our anger and our self-centered unbelief and evil. Haven't you ever gotten mad at God and kind of said, oh, God, you know. Right? Oh, yeah, we've done that too. Now, it's okay to be honest with God. But don't give up your faith in God when you're struggling like that. That thief did. What's the use? I'm dying. And yet one thief, moved by the love of God, confessed Jesus as Lord, as we all should do. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I will. When Jesus died, he said, you're going to be there. When Jesus died on that cross, travelers to Jerusalem, coming to the city of the Passover, could not help but notice that his cross hung on that olive tree near the altar of the red heifer, just to the side along the southern ridge line, facing the veil of the temple. And they would naturally associate his death with that altar of the red heifer right there, right near it. And so there is an altar outside the gate where he was taken to and he was crucified, and that is our altar. 
So what does it mean? Why is the altar of the red heifer so important in the book of Hebrews? Two ideas meet in the sacrifice of the red heifer. That means everything to us who need to be saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. How many of you really want to be saved? I'm in that group. You look in the mirror and you realize, I've messed up in life. I can think of awful sins, not so awful sins, but any one of them's good enough just to keep me out of the kingdom. And we need that grace in our life, the acceptance component. Well, the altar of the red heifer takes us back to the first sins of the human race. The first idea is the idea of red, Adam. The second idea is the idea of heifer. And the heifer is feminine. Now let's look at the first idea. The red heifer was the Adam heifer. And Adam was a man like us men. Men, raise your hands. But the heifer is feminine. Men, put your hands down, okay? Like many women here today, women, raise your hands high, daintily as you should. How many of you are grateful that you're a woman? Now men say amen for them. We're grateful for them. Adam wasn't the first to sin. Who sinned first? We're not picking on the woman here. Who sinned first? Eve. Eve's name means life. Adam's wife became his life. He renamed her life. So really the word captures the essence of Adam and Eve. The Adam heifer. And thus the masculine Adam and the feminine Eve. The feminine heifer. Thus the sacrifice of the red heifer takes us all the way back to Eden where Adam and Eve sinned against God together. That will conclude the first portion of a message Pastor Michael Oxentenko entitles Altar Zero. We'll bring you the conclusion to this broadcast the next time we get together. Thanks for listening today. We would really love it if you would join us for our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. either online or in person. If you would like to join us in person, the address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you are certainly welcome to join us online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.